Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. And definitely check out those shows as well. Jessica Gross is the author of Screaming on the Inside, The Unsustainability of American Motherhood. Jessica is an opinion writer at the New York Times, where she writes a newsletter on parenting. Her new book just came out in December, and I had a little event for her and Gail Schonbrunn at my home the day of her publication, her pub day. So you can go on Instagram and check out some of our pictures at Zibby Owens. Jess was the founding editor of Lenny, the email newsletter and website. She also writes about women's health, culture, and grizzly bears. She was named one of LinkedIn's next wave top professionals 35 and under in 2016 and a glamour game changer in 2020 for her coverage of the pandemic. Her second novel, Soulmates, was published in 2016. It was about a broken marriage, spiritual awakening, and a murder at a yoga retreat. Her debut novel was called Sad Desk Salad, and it came out in 2012. 
She was formerly a senior editor at Slate and an editor at Jezebel. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, New York, The Washington Post, Business Week, Elle, Cosmopolitan, and many other publications. She lives in Brooklyn with her husband and two daughters. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much for coming on Mom's Time Time to Read Books to discuss Screaming on the Inside, the Unsustainability of American Motherhood. Thank you so much for having me. When I got this book and, and even heard the title, I was like, finally, yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I wrote this essay uh, like four years ago or five years ago. It was called um, A Mother's Right to Sanity. And it's like, there's no, it's like impossible. It's just impossible. It's untenable. Anyway, so tell tell me about your, tell listeners about your book. I know all about your book, but tell listeners about your book and why you decided to make it into a book at all. Absolutely. So I have been thinking about writing a version of this book for probably eight or nine years. I had a very difficult pregnancy with my older daughter where I had hyperemesis, which is uncontrollable throwing up. Uh, I like to joke that I leaned into a toilet um, because that is what it felt like. I got extremely depressed because I had gone off antidepressants to conceive and I had just started a new job and I had to quit that job because I was so terrible at it. I mean, I just couldn't show up because I was really sick. And I realized in that moment, and even though I had been covering family policy before that and realized, you know, America does so little to support its parents, uh, actually living through it myself in such a sort of dramatic way was really galvanizing. And so since then, you know, my older daughter is going to be 10 in a couple of weeks. I have been reporting and talking to, you know, probably over the years, thousands of moms about the ways that, you know, our society falls short and the expectations they feel are all on their shoulders and that they are not given the tools to be the kinds of parents that they really want to be. And the pandemic really crystallized everything for me. And I think it crystallized everything for a lot of parents who maybe had some inchoate idea that everything wasn't working, but they were just trying to get through every day because there's so much to do every day. Um, But then with all of the social structures really falling apart in March, 2020, I think more people kind of realize this is not working for me and this is not working for most people. So really the pandemic is what made me be like, okay, this is time, this is the time for this to be a book length project. And, you know, the pandemic is in it, but it is not the main part of the book. It is one chapter because all of these ideals that we live with and put so much pressure on ourselves to live up to have been with us for forever. But certainly since the beginning of American society, they just shape shift around whatever is sort of in vogue in the culture at the time. So... Yeah, that's sort of the long and short of it. A lot in there. A lot in there. The throwing up in pregnancy, it was as if you had developed some sort of chronic illness with no treatment. And it with luckily for you, there was an end in sight, like that the baby would come. But still, that doesn't mean that it made any moment of that journey any easier. Right. And it was so it so took over your life. I mean, I know you just mentioned you couldn't work, but the the way you write about it and how you needed to be so close to a toilet at all times and how you tried so hard and nothing you did would really help. I mean, it was this sense of sort of hopelessness and desperation and the fact that other people are all doing this and, and what supports there are. I don't know. It was very, the telling of the, the medical odyssey part of this, not even odyssey, but just medical situation was so vivid and so awful for you. Oh my gosh. 
Thank you so. I mean, I really wanted to make it seem real. It was hard to write because sort of plunging myself back into those feelings was not delightful. But I mean, just to connect it back to sort of all these bigger picture ideas, there is, as far as I know, one researcher who studies hyperemesis because there is no money in it. They don't fund women's health first of all, the way that they fund, you know, there's, a, you always hear the statistic about how, you know, there's more money going into erectile dysfunction than there is into most women's health issues. But what the one woman, I, I years ago interviewed the one woman who does research it. She researches it because she had it herself. She has a nonprofit that raises money for it because she's not getting money from the big funders because what they say is like, well, it resolves itself. You know, it ends with pregnancy. And it's like, it is one of the most common side effects, or that's not the word I'm looking for. It's one of the most common sort of disabilities and difficulties that women have during their pregnancies. It is debilitating, as I point out. And to hear from sort of the medical community at large, it's like, well, it's not that big a deal because it resolves itself when you give birth. It's like, it is it, it is actually quite dangerous for some people. I was lucky enough where I was getting... Uh, I technically met the addition of hyperemesis because I lost 5% or more of my body weight in my first trimester, but I was keeping down enough where the baby was always okay. And so, you know, I didn't even have the worst version of it. I didn't even have the worst version and it was completely debilitating and it, you know, ruined my life for, you know, the seven months that I was really stricken with it. It got better towards the very end of my pregnancy and then resolved completely when I gave birth. But yeah, just to like tie it all in, there's always these systemic things where it's like, well, why don't we have a fix for that? It's like, well, because there's no money in it and we don't care. (laughs) You also highlighted the lack of research around going off antidepressants and why do doctors always tell you to do this? Like I went off antidepressants for my last kid and I like, it was rough going. (laughs) Um, Not to mention that just the fact of going off antidepressants usually takes a long time and tapering. And I don't know if you read May Cause Side Effects by Brooke Seam. Did you read that book? Um, It's really interesting about how when you go off, sometimes these other symptoms come back. So you think that it's the problem, but really it's the getting off its of the meds itself that is causing these symptoms. And so it encourages people to just stay on again. But it can cause psychosis and all sorts of stuff to get off the meds. But anyway, talk a little about your research in that and like why this flipping is like, well, it might hurt the baby. I don't know. Like you should probably just go off. Well, that's sort of a medical knowledge gap because there is actually quite a bit of research on the older SSRIs. So you're talking Prozac, things that have been around for 20 or more years. There is pretty robust research on it and it shows that it is you know, the same risks that exist from staying on antidepressants are the same risks of being super anxious and depressed while you're pregnant. So, you know, neither option is very (laughs) good and they're minimal. You know, they exist. I don't want to sugarcoat that. Like there are risks of low birth weight. I don't have the stats in front of me, but there are risks. But it's sort of what always bothers me is it's treated like an optional medication. Whereas like, oh, if you needed insulin because you're a diabetic, um, of course you would stay on it during pregnancy. And so it should be treated like every other medication where there you weigh the risks and benefits and you make an informed decision with your doctor. You know, that might be going off, but that might be staying on. And I think the problem is unless you have a psychiatrist who is well-versed in perinatal mental health, 
they just will not know the statistics. I had to look up the statistics. And these are people who are educated. It's just a very specific branch of maternal mental health. And I mean, when I've, I don't remember if this made it into the book. I've just done so much research on all of this over the years, but the model that is recommended to maintain mother's mental health, it is an integrated model where obstetric practices also have a social worker in the practice. So they have a social worker or a psychologist. So you're one-stop shop. You're not having to get referrals. You're not having to go every which way. It is baked in to, you know, just the overall well-being of the mother and baby. And that just sounds like a dream, right? <laughs> and those, not only are they expert, but they're right there. Um, and so that is what I would wish for any, you know, new mom, that they would have that level of just support and understanding and also just acknowledgement that prenatal and postpartum mental health challenges are beyond common. They are so common. It's like 20%. A fifth of, of moms will have some sort of diagnosable struggle. And that doesn't even count sort of, you know, just the heightened feelings that are not clinically levelly significant of exhaustion and you know your life is changing like it's a hard it's a transitional time for a lot of people and you're getting no sleep that's what i always tell my new mom friends i'm like just go sleep for like 5 <laughs> hours and see if you feel okay because <laughs> part of it is you're just so freaking tired that everything feels unmanageable right so yes i wish that uh mental health coverage were sort of more baked into the systems that we have. I don't even think perinatal mental health is a popular term. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like people know, nobody focuses on that. It's not like, like it would be great. Yeah, it would be great. Here you're pregnant. Here's the results. And here is your perinatal mental health counselor. Yeah. yeah. Good luck. That would be lovely. But this is an alternate wonderful world. <laughs> now, um, but I mean, the way that other countries that are uh, a theme I come back to over and over again in the book is that countries that are as wealthy as the United States all do more for mothers and for parents. And one thing that is very common in other countries that have national health systems is to have a nurse who comes to your house in the weeks after frequently in the weeks after you give birth. Like just that, having someone come who can help you with breastfeeding, help just talk to you, just, you know, check in with you. Can you even imagine like how lovely would that be? <laughs> I, I do feel like modern life in general, this is sort of like a larger point, but we keep going faster and faster and adapting to all these things and doing more and all of the stuff. And I think childbirth, pregnancy, childbirth, the whole thing, nursing, like that whole, you know, it, it doesn't really fit with the iCal schedules and the crazy pace of life. And it's like, well, like I remember as a new mom, I was just like, well, how am I supposed to do all this nursing and, and make any sort of plan? Like you can't, and then if I can't make any sort of plan, how can I possibly like maintain my other commitments and like be, participate in XYZ or work or write or whatever? It's like, it's very, it seems almost like if only we could go back in time, right? That, that, that this current lifestyle speed does not really fit with this most elemental evolutionary part of our bodies. It's true. But I mean, one of the most fascinating parts of the book for me and one of the most interesting 
aspects of all the research that I did was reading women's diaries and letters from hundreds of years ago. And it's not like they found breastfeeding or birth easy. They okay. would write okay. <laughs> <laughs> they would write in letters to their they had perhaps less fewer expectations on their time, but I still remember, you know, reading these letters about women talking about their abscesses, the babies feeding all the time, how exhausted they were, how their husbands were not helping them. They were off, you know, doing God knows what. And even though that wasn't even the societal expectation that husbands should really be involved in sort of 19th century child rearing, these women still felt totally abandoned and angry. (laughs) So... Um, it's sort of comforting to know yes, that that makes even, me feel better. Yeah, even without the sort of iCal demands on your time, I still my favorite was one woman who was talking about uh, writing a letter to I think it was her sister about giving birth, and she was like, "It's hell." <laughs> yes, that's true. So you know, these things have is in some ways th- things have really changed, and in some ways it's same as it ever was. True. Plus, we have all sorts of medical advances, even though it's not perfect. It's true. Yes, very happy to have that epidural. Yeah. (laughs) Very, very happy that that was an an option for me. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from. So you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P 
com slash moms don't have time. There's obviously the childbirth, that early motherhood, but there's being a mother, which also feels unsustainable and which you highlight, especially with your pandemic research and all the moms that you talk to. And I mean, it's obviously it was so evident how, yeah, how unsustainable it all is. So talk to me about over the lifespan of the mom? Like, does it ever get, you know, when does it get easier? Is there anything we can do to make it easier? Like looking at it analytically the way you did with all the data, where's like, where's the answer? Like what, where's the spotlight shining that is like, this is the path. I mean, I think the biggest thing to realize is a lot of things that would make it easier are not individual solutions, right? So paid leave, healthcare that is not tied to jobs, you know, universal sick days, just things that would make a sick child not a crisis in your life um, or not an overwhelming, you know, just kink to your schedule. Affordable childcare is huge and does not exist here. So all of those things happening and, and, you know, advocating for them, if you have the energy to advocate for them, those things are super important. On the individual level, I think just honesty, asking for help. A lot of folks have so much problem, so much trouble saying like, I'm not doing okay. I need help. I need you to come sit with my kids for an hour so I can take a nap. I am going to lose my mind if I don't go to the gym today. Can you please just like, <laughs> you know, just like having a community where, and obviously you reciprocate that, but, you know, relying on our communities more than we have been, because I think that there's a lot of resistance to asking for help. Either you think you're burdening people or you think you're going to look like you can't hack it because you need the help. So I think just that simple asking for and offering help for us. And I know that this is not feasible for everyone. We have been blessed to live near my parents. We live near my parents. They are in great help. They help with our kids once a week, like just knowing they're there psychologically in an emergency, even though, you know, they don't, it it has been immeasurably helpful, especially when my kids, you know, the sort of pre-pandemic era when my kids were really little and there were just times where it was like, oh my God, I am going to like lose my mind or I'm going to really not be able to meet this commitment that I've made for work. They just, you know, I can't think they gave me the gift of life and they have (laughs) enabled me to have kids and what sort of sort of really generationally meaningful and resonant for me is my grandparents did that for my parents. So my parents were both doctors. It was on you. My mom was one of five women in her medical school class in the 70s, in the early seventies. It was unusual to be a woman in medical school then. And her parents were not only so supportive and encouraging of her to work and to be a professional. Um, but they live nearby and they were the backstop for sort of childcare uh, crunches and disasters. And so I think my parents feel like they are paying it forward in a way that I just, you know, not only am I grateful for it, but it is very meaningful because I was really close to my grandparents and that relationship for me was so important. And so I, I'm hoping that that is also for my kids, just having more grownups in their lives who love them and have fun with them. So, you know, it's, you know, a little bit saccharine, but it is true. It's great. How did you become a reporter at the New York Times? Like, for tell me just a little bit more about that journey. And I know you talked some about what you were doing in the past and all of that in the book, but for people who don't know. 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I have, I basically started in journalism as soon as I graduated from college. I immediately, I, I actually thought I would be a culture reporter. So, my first job out of uh, college was at Spin, mm-hmm. which I think no longer exists. I or maybe Spin. Yes. <laughs> so, the music magazine Spin, um, I was, I worked on their website, which in 2004 was like, just so not what websites are today. But I always sort of worked on the web side of publications. So I worked there, then I worked at the Zagat survey, and I was very terrible at that job. I was like, that was a real real learning experience for me because I was like, wow, this is the first thing I'm kind of failing at because it wasn't a good fit. It was a job that required a lot of uh, copy editing. And that is my Achilles heel in terms, I can do a structural edit, I can write, my my grammar for myself is fine. I cannot do it for other people. I'm not a good line editor. Anyone who has been edited for me, it's let by me. It's like I'm like, does that comma go there? <laughs> <laughs> so to this day, not my forte. So I did that job. Then I worked at Jezebel in the you know first year or two. It was around, which was an amazing sort of experience and and really got me more into women's media because I had sort of been more on the sort of culture lifestyle side. Um, so I worked at Jezebel for a year or two, and then I worked at Slate for three years. So more online media reporting, really learning how to shape a story. Um, I had amazing mentors there. And they were mentors not only in sort of writing, but also just really great models for me and seeing what a working mom could be like. Um, Because it always seemed, it was like at the time I was in my twenties and I was like, this seems so hard. Like I'm already working so hard. How do you throw kids into this mix? And so it was really special and important for me to have those role models and um, Hannah Rosen and Emily Bazelon to say like, oh, they're, they're doing it. They're doing all of the things and they are doing all of the things well. So I, I think about them and I'm, you know, still in touch with them and, and think about them a lot. So I was at Slate and then I, I took another job and that was the job I had to quit after two months because I was pregnant. So then I was three freelance for three years when my older daughter was born and until she was about three. And then I just wrote for everybody. I wrote for a lot of business publications because they paid well. So I wrote for Business Week. I wrote for Fast Company. I wrote, you know, for all of the women's magazines, Mary Claire, Cosmo, anybody who would have me. I was just like, will your check cash? Great. <laughs> like it was very, and it was great. I loved being freelance. I'm very efficient. It was a good deal for me. I could be really flexible, which I wanted to be. I wanted to spend more time with my newborn. Like it was just a great situation for me as a going into motherhood. And also during that time. So my first novel came out when I was seven months pregnant. My second novel came out after I had my second kid. So then I started working at Lenny, which was an email (laughs) newsletter. And I, we knew that we wanted to have a second kid and that we could not financially make it work unless I went back to a staff job. So I started looking for a staff job just to have those sort of regular income because freelance can be very streaky. And, you know, I, I think we could have made it work, but I just couldn't deal with that stress. Like the stress of the hustle, the stress, like, oh, well, this month I had a windfall and next month, like, who knows? Like I just, with a second kid in the mix, I was like, absolutely not. I cannot do this hustle anymore. And so, you know, I, I helped found 
Lenny letter, which was a newsletter and website. And I, you know, just had an amazing experience with the people that I worked with there. And then I was there for about three years and then I went to the Times. So that is the long path many jobs, many different experiences, lots of different, right. I wrote, I edited, I managed, and now I'm just back to writing again. And I am really enjoying it. I miss working with writers. Like I miss developing people and helping them move forward in their careers. That was really special for me. I do not miss being a manager. (laughs) (laughs) Just only being responsible for myself is a relief. And so I'm really happy. And now, so now I just write for uh, the Times Opinion section. And I love, I love working for Opinion because I have a lot of opinions. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. It's so amazing. If you had one piece of advice for moms, not even for authors here, but just for parents, not even just moms, but parents, after all the research you've done and everything, given the structural constraints in which we live and operate and parent, like what, what is, what is the advice? So for me, it's real. And and this has been something that I've benefited from, from all of this research. Anytime you feel guilty about something, just stop, stop Mm -hmm. and think, why do I feel guilty? Do I feel guilty because of some nonsense, because I saw some other mom doing it and I feel bad because I'm not doing it or because my mother-in-law thinks I should be doing it, or there's some sort of societal pressure that says I should be doing this thing? Or are you feeling guilty because it's your own value and you're falling short of your own value? In the first case, if it's someone else's values, you're not living up to, like, just, you can't stop yourself from feeling that initial guilt. That's just human. But like, if it is someone else's values that are making you feel bad about yourself, let it go. Just say like, I don't, I actually the person I am does not care about this thing. If it is something that is important to you, then, you know, then it's a time for reevaluation. What can I move around in my life so that I can do this thing that is important to me? But it's just really about trying to clarify your own values and what is important to you in your life absent of all of the societal pressures. And that's, I'm not saying that that is an easy thing to do. Right. Every single day, I still <laughs> feel like I am failing at something. Right? <laughs> perfectionistic person. It is a strength and a weakness for me. And so, you know, I think it's also the idea that you're never going to get to this perfectly idealized state where you're just actualized and like nothing bothers you and nothing gets to you. It's like, that's not realistic either, but (laughs) trying to figure out what your actual values are, that's also kind of a lifelong project, right? So I I think just kind of spending your time on that rather than the ways that you're falling short of other people's expectations for you. I love it. (laughs) Jessica, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read. Moms don't have time to read books or clearly make sentences today. Um, And yeah, just amazing. Thank you for putting us all together and helping so many people. Oh no, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And if it makes you feel better, yesterday I forgot the word for footnote. That is how broken my brain is. I was like the little numbers that go on the end of us. And that was just... That's where I am in my mom journey. Just forgetting yes. words for yep. things I should know the words for. So. I am I am with you. I'm like garbage, garage, which is the right word? I don't even know. Anyway. All right. <laughs> Take care. I'll All talk right. to you soon. Bye-bye. So
Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.